Behold, a gateway to your own past, if you wish. If it were done. When it is done, then it were well, it were done quickly. If the assassination could trammel up the consequence and catch with his surcease success, that but this blow might be the be-all and the end-all here. History's strange, it's alien, and it won't give us what we would like to have. Hour three of our Tuesday morning on this 9th of May 2023, brought to you by the McPherson Financial Group. Thanks to you for spending your time with us on 92.7 FM, 1240 or 1350 AM, and of course, the iHeartRadio app, wherever you may be listening. You want to see what's in play today, head to BillMick.com, but we've got links there for you for Dave Bowman, plausibly live, Dave Bowman's podcast, and Dave Does History, his bibliography of the things we discuss on these days. Let's get right to it as Dave Bowman joins us this morning from Silverdale, Washington. Dave, I was listening to What the Frock, and I still haven't finished your Sunday podcast yet, but uh, you guys were a little enamored with the uh, coronation of King Chuck. Well, I don't know that we were enamored with it, but we were certainly having our, our fun with it. Well, you were distracted by it, that's for sure. And Rod was talking about, and you talked about in the starting part of that podcast that the national anthem that is a big thing before sporting events here, not so much so over there, but on coordination day, the soccer league over there decided to do a national anthem and it wasn't what you might have expected. No, it, uh, it did not go well. People booed it, um, or booed during it. And of course the argument was, are they booing King Chuck or are they booing the national anthem? And we seem to come to the conclusion that what they were actually booing was was King Chuck, that, that he's not popular. Were there chants of, let's go, Charlie? No. <laughs> no. Yeah, that would have been good. See, the thing about soccer over there is when they chant and sing, you can't really understand them. I, I, it drives me nuts because I have no idea what they're saying. They might as well be, Bill, speaking Spanish because I don't understand it. Yeah, I'm with you. I, then the few words I do understand, I probably couldn't use on the radio, and I wouldn't know I'd be what I was being fined for if I did. Right, that's the way it goes. So there it? we go. How do you? Very uh, true. Where, where are we taking us today? British American rivalry, and I, and in interesting ways, it appears. How do you feel about Shakespeare? Are you, do you like Shakespeare? Are you a I Shakespeare do. fan? I, I mean, can I quote you things? No, not really. But I have enjoyed the Shakespeare that I dabbled with. In school, sure. There was a time in this country when... More of a Chaucer guy myself, and I know you are too. Yeah. There was a time in this country when Shakespeare was... He was the entertainment in this country. There are, there are written stories about miners in California, people digging for gold in California. And the way they would entertain themselves is by performing spontaneously from memory... Shakespearean plays for each other. So they would just drop everything and, and, and put on a Shakespearean play. People in it this country. It almost sounds like a Disney movie. They're almost. out mining for gold and all of a sudden, time to stop and sing, boys. Yeah. It, there was a time in this country when Shakespeare was beloved. And I'm not sure when it happened. Clearly, it was after the Civil War, but Shakespeare sort of became passe. There's a great scene in the movie Tombstone, which takes place in the 1880s, where a Shakespearean actor is up on the stage, uh, played by Billy Zane, as I recall, and the cowboys are, are shooting at him, and 
you know, they're shooting at the, the, the props and that sort of thing. This was a very common way of behaving in America in that era. That was a way of showing appreciation, believe it or not. And so it was after that point, though, after the turn of the 19th century, the Shakespeare kind of became passe. I mean, it, it, it really went away and, and I'm still not clear on why, but it kind of did, which is kind of weird because pre-war, pre-Civil War in the antebellum era, the American view of Shakespeare was Shakespeare was almost really an American. He might have been born in Britain. He might have written in Britain and he might have died there in England, but he really is an American. We own Shakespeare. And because we own Shakespeare, we're going to do it our way. And believe me, we did it our way. And we'll tell you more about that in just 60 seconds. Given our discussion this morning, I'm kind of wondering if they perform Shakespeare at Chateau Madeleine. If you're looking for a home for your senior loved one and the transition is about to come, you don't want to miss taking a tour at Chateau Madeleine. Why? It's resort style, senior living and memory care with first-class nursing care in play in a home where life can get better. It's a real beautiful home, and uh, it's something you'll be impressed with. Go take the tour. Call them at 321-701-8000. Watch the staff interact with the residents at Chateau Madeleine. See the joy on everybody's face while you're there. Try the amazing food, and look at the amenities and entertainment they've got available. You can look at the website. It's suntreeseniorliving.com, but take that tour because your senior loved one deserves a home like Chateau Madeline. Dave Bowman is with us with Dave Does History. So, Dave, where are we sitting now, pal? In the first half of the 19th century, so, you know, 1800 to 1850, the American vision, the American view of Great Britain was very negative. That's hard for us to understand today because today um, is one of the multiple VE days and we're we're used to being allied with Britain. We're used to being friends with Britain. We're used to being our American cousins or British cousins or whatever. But in the mm-hmm. first half of the 19th century, that was not the case. Number one, we fought a war against them in 1812. Um, mm-hmm. We disagreed with them. There were multiple disagreements with, with Great Britain over a lot of things. But our view of them was very uh, argumentative, almost almost ready to go to war at the drop of the hat. In fact, at one point, the uh, the Oregon question, which led to the famous phrase 54-40 or fight, which mm-hmm. is our position that the board, the boundary had to be at uh, latitude 54-40. And we were supposedly willing to fight over this. At least our governments were. Um, an interesting kind of thing happened, which was that the the middle classes of both the United States and Great Britain basically told their governments, this is really stupid and you need to not have another war over the boundary of Oregon. Just get in a room and settle it. And that's what they eventually ended up doing. But this argument between the United States and Britain is really intense to the point where everything British with the exception of Shakespeare, is almost hated in America, kind of like the way we look at the French today. You know, we kind of look at France as being meh, but 
in, in those days, it was we were friends with France, and we didn't like England. England was, uh, you know, the bad guys. They were. I don't know. It's a strange thing, Bill, because we just don't relate to it today at all. No. Uh. Uh-uh. So there's there's all these arguments over Canada. Believe it or not, we get involved with Canada trying to become an independent nation. We we quit paying some of the states. And remember, this is before the 14th Amendment, so the states are doing their own financial deals. States are borrowing money from Great Britain's banks and refusing to pay it back, which is the kind of thing that, you know, gets people upset. Mm-hmm. There is a secret map that's been drawn that changes some of the borders. And this leads to, uh, you know, all kinds of problems diplomatically. Borders of what? Which border? Canada and the United States. What we, okay. But remember, Canada at that point is Great Britain. So there, there's people planning to take over parts of it. There's actually a war out here in the San Juan Islands. It's called the Pig War, where a farmer, a farmer has his pig killed by one side or the other, and they actually almost end up shooting each other over this pig in the San Juan <laughs> Islands. This is how much we hate England. And how much sounds like the Hatfields and McCoys, man. You know, you know, in a strange way, it kind of is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because we are so closely related, kind of like West Virginia people. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, boy, we just do not like each other. And and I can't emphasize this enough. For us it, 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 today, this makes no sense at all. None, because we are so used to being very close to England and and to Great Britain. But in the eighteen forties. This was not the case. England and America were just, I mean, ready to go to war at the drop of a hat, Bill. We were ready to shoot at people over pigs and secret maps, and especially mm-hmm. Oregon. Now, that one got settled, but there were still a lot of arguments. And one of the biggest arguments that we had was over Shakespeare. And I'm not kidding. Really? Shakespeare, particularly the play Macbeth, which if you know anything about, you know, theatrical history, you know that Macbeth is, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those plays that everybody loves, but in the theater, it's considered a bad luck play. And so you, you never say the word Macbeth out loud. If you do, there's all these really weird things that you have to do to, to stop the bad luck. Is it said during the play? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, it's said during the play. Okay. But. We're just under 60 seconds here, so you know. In the theater, you don't say the word Macbeth. You call it the Scottish play. And you don't refer directly to this. And yet we make Macbeth our own American version of it, basically. And the Brits, they have their British version of it. And because of the way America is split, those two versions are going to cause the deadliest riot in American history, at least before the 20th century. And it all breaks out in theaters. I like it. Theaters in New York City. Don't call it Little Baltimore. Call it Little New York. You know what? This this has the potential to be like a really cool current musical, right? You'd think there'd be a movie about it. It could rival Hamilton or something. We'll talk about it with Dave Bowman. Dave does history on Bill McLive when we continue on WMMB.
Dave Does History, our weekly journey through the Wayback Machine. Dave Bowman is with us on Bill Mick Live. The McPherson Financial Group bringing the hour as we dive, drive, dive, I'll get it out in a minute, into some American-British rivalry, and it seems to be centering now on the Scottish play. I'll say it, Dave, Macbeth. Nah. Uh, I'm not going to do all the weird stuff that they do because I don't care. I'm not an actor. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the coronation. We don't care. Go ahead. Have <sighs> a king. We don't. Did you, you didn't watch any of it, did you? I did not. It's so bizarre. I mean, the only reason I watched the replay, I did not watch it live. I watched the replay because I knew the BBC would be carrying it, you know, over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason I watch it is because I love Westminster Abbey. So, okay. That's the only thing I was looking at. That and the fact that her crown, Camilla's crown, certainly looks bigger than his. I saw you being fascinated. And, and I don't know, was Rod onto something? Does she have a smaller head? Maybe. I don't know. Neither one of them looked very happy. I can tell well, you. He that. does have those sausage fingers. So there yes, you go. he does. So, <laughs> catch what the frock the uh, podcast Dave and Rod do on Sundays. Yeah, you'll find it at uh, the DaveBowmanShow.com. It's interesting and fun. Yeah. Um, so here we are, Bill. It's 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 the year 1848, and Americans, especially New Yorkers, are are really not sure what the word for it is. I guess divided. In fact, there's a phrase in America in the 1840s called the top 10, and it refers to the top 10% richest people in America and how fancy they are and how separated they are from the rest of Americans who are not in the top 10. But it's America. So even the people who aren't in the top 10 have kind of taken on this affectation of being as if they are just as good, and I'm doing the air quote thing here, good, as the top 10 people. They dress very fancily. They they act very snooty. And in New York City, the the rowdiest of these people now live in an area known as the Bowery, which you've probably heard of at some point. The Bowery mm-hmm. is a neighborhood in New York that is very rough and tumble, but it would seem odd to us if we were to get into the DeLorean and go back then because people are wearing top hats, they're wearing coats and waistcoats. And I mean, it's, it's just this really strange thing to, to our eyes and ears, but they are also very poor compared to the top 10%. The top 10% who love Shakespeare and they love English actors portraying the role of Macbeth in Shakespearean plays, have built themselves a theater called the Astor Place Theater. But they built it, Bill, right on the border of the Bowery. So you have this very rich neighborhood that now has this brand new theater right literally on the border, the street, the border there, with the with, with with the Bowery. And they've made this theater so that poor people can't really go because it has dress codes. You have to have you basically got to be in a tuxedo, you have to have white gloves, you have to have the, the money to buy tickets and all this kind of thing to get in here. And so they've they've built this theater right on the border of the Bowery for the express intent of excluding people who can't afford to go which is a really a top 10 move. I mean, this is really 
a divisive move. And in the process of this, they also tend to invite British actors to come play their theater as opposed to American actors. Now, as it turns out, there are basically two actors in the entire world who are the best at Shakespeare. One happens to be British, a guy by the name of MacReady, and an American by the name of Forrest. And believe it or not, over the, eight, over the course of the 1840s, a rivalry builds between these two guys. One, the British guy, is very technical, very precise in how he acts, whereas the American is very free-spirited and very apt to kind of adapt American ideas and American behaviors to the roles in Shakespeare. And, of course, the newspapers get involved in this. They start promoting one or the other. The English papers promote the English guy. The American papers promote the American guy. And they each tour the other guy's country, where Forrest, the American, is over in England, and he's watching MacReady play Macbeth. And he decides that this portrayal is really bad. And so in England, he starts hissing and booing MacReady on stage, which, of course, is Nicole Turney. This is very uncultured, very, very rude. And so the, the, the British papers just eviscerate him. And he's basically sent back to America in disgrace, where Americans love this. They love the fact that he's booed this guy on stage. And we make a giant hero of him. So naturally, the Astor Place people invite MacReady to come play Macbeth. Because that's what you do when you're the top tens, right? You, yeah. You say to yourself, well, what could go wrong? And of course, a lot's going to go wrong. And we'll tell you more about that right after this. The McPherson Financial Group is our hour sponsor here. I appreciate Art and his staff and all they do for me in handling my financial planning. It is not a world where I'm comfortable. It's not a world I live and play in every day. The McPherson Financial Group. It's what they do. They help you get your retirement ready for when you're ready for that retirement. Things to consider like taxes and your assets and what are you going to need? And do you have an advisor that is local and connected with you? Are you working with a big box guy who just has whatever the program is and this is it and it's going to work for you? Well, that's not how it works at the McPherson Financial Group. Matter of fact, find out for yourself. Call Art and the staff at 321-253-2016 or see them online at McPherson financialgroup.com. Don't forget their show each weekend on WMMB called The Art of Money. The McPherson Financial Group, LLC, is a financial services firm. They offer a broad array of products and services, including insurance and annuities. They're licensed in Florida. I'm compensated for the endorsement, but yeah, as I told you, they do handle my financial planning, and I'm glad they do, or I'd be a lost ball in tall weeks, and I couldn't afford to go see the British actor at the play. Dave Bowman, what are we doing here? I was gonna this say, caused trouble. I was going to say, Bill, I mean, these guys manage the McPherson Group manages your money. You could be a top tenor, and you could go to, you could go to the fancy theater and see the English guy play Macbeth. Exactly. Of, Let's do it instead of the American guy. Now imagine this, Bill. All around the country, these two actors have been traveling. Uh, Forrest, the American guy, intentionally schedules himself to be in theaters in the same city where McCready, the English guy, is playing the exact <laughs> same role. So that Americans actually have a choice between going to see the English guy or the American guy. And, of course, the newspapers are making hay with this. It's just, 
it's a huge. Imagine today if they made movies, right? So let's say, I don't know, pick an actor. Uh, George Clooney makes a movie and Nicolas Cage makes exactly the same movie with the same script. Everything is the same except the two different actors. And you get to I'm decide. I'm going to watch Cage. Yeah. Well, I probably would too. Although yeah. I do have a thing for Clooney. Um, it's the same kind of thing. And so where are you going to spend your money? Where are you going to do this? What are you going to, you know, <laughs> and of course the newspapers are stoking this, but it's in New York where this really comes to a head because this Astor Place Theater is trying to limit who can come to see this thing. And on May 7th, he does, uh, McCready does his initial performance. Well, guess what happens? The people from the Bowery buy hundreds of tickets to this. Now, where do they get the money for this, Bill? They're poor. Well, they get the money from Tammany Hall, the Democrat-run political machine, which is mad because there's a Whig mayor in New York. So they buy hundreds of tickets to go to this thing. They basically pack the theater. And as McCready is on stage, they're throwing vegetables at him, rotten vegetables. They're booing, they're hissing. They basically have to flee the stage. We've got 20 seconds here, Dave. And he says, I'm not doing this. But he gets talked into doing one more show on May 10th. We'll see where it takes us as Dave does history on Bill McLeod with a little bit of a twist. Bring in the actors. Yeah, they're always a solution, right? We'll find out when we continue on Bill McLeod. Every day has a call of the day, and it could be you. Call Bill at 321-768-1240 and add your perspective to the conversation on Bill Mick Live. Dave Bowman. If I push that other button, I get to talk. Dave Bowman with us with Dave Does History on Bill Mick Live. Call of the day yesterday was um, Brent Indy Atlantic with a great observation. And matter of fact, that's part of the comment that he made. Gender is observed not a sign. And that made it the call of the day yesterday. Who knows what today's call of the day is? And we've still got room for you. If you want to talk a little history with uh, Dave does history on Bill McLeod. So we've got one more play for this British Macbeth actor to perform. He agrees to do it, Dave, after they were already throwing vegetables at him in his last performance. He's ready to leave town. I mean, he he's like, why in the world would I do this? And there's a petition amongst the top tenors, the people that run the Astor Place Theater, and they're like, no, dude, this was an aberration. Most Americans aren't going to behave like this, so don't worry about it. So another another show is scheduled for May the 10th, and 
the Bowery makes it clear. All of a sudden, there's handbills being printed, Bill. And, and again, how do poor people do this? Well, they're not. Tammany Hall, the Democrat Party, is doing this. They are stirring up this, this anti-British, this anti-English hatred over this whole thing. And, of course, you've got a Whig mayor who's, you know, he's caught between a rock and a hard place. What do we do? The police inform him, look, we don't have enough of us. If there's another incident like this, there's just not enough of us to do anything about this. And so the mayor on May the 10th calls out the militia, the New York State militia, Mm. which, again, remember before the Civil War, that was the army. He calls out the militia to, to help maintain order. Well, everybody shows up at the theater before the uh, before the start time, and the Bowery Boys, the the people who are, you know, not the top tenors, are really upset about this militia being called out, and they start throwing rocks, flagstones, uh, stuff from the roofs. They they start really, and and they try to set the theater on fire because they're really upset about all this stuff. The militia doesn't really know what to do. The police don't really know what to do. And this thing just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And of course, the performance is ultimately canceled after everybody's already inside. So all the audience is inside and they've, they've limited who can be there now. So there's none of the Bowery boys in there, which is part of the problem. They're upset about that. Mm-hmm. And the militia finally decides, you know what, this is too dangerous. And so they fire a volley into the air. Theoretically, this is supposed to break up the crowd. Well, of course, it doesn't. It just enrages the crowd, which then surges towards the police and the militia. And in one of the most tragic incidents in American history, the deadliest riot in American history before the 20th century actually takes place. 21 people are shot dead by the militia and the police. Some 70, between 50 and 70 police officers and militia members are injured, Uh, none are killed, but some are injured in this whole thing. And this whole riot breaks out basically over Shakespeare, over Macbeth, the worst luck play in in the history of plays, and the tensions between rich, poor, Democrat, Republican, Whig, as they were called in those days, and the basic idea of who can go to what, where, when, and how, and why. And you end up with the deadliest riot in American history before the 20th century, obviously, but over over Macbeth, Bill. And it makes you wonder, you know, makes you wonder, what the heck, I guess. This ends up, by the way, this actually leads to the militarization of the police in New York City. The police become much more like the militia after this. And this is going to lead further downstream to more violent riots and violent conflicts between police and the less uh, the less fortunate in America across the board. This is the, really the start of the militarization of the police. May 10th, 1849, the so-called Astor Place riot over the play Macbeth. How interesting is that? And we're back with Dave Bowman in just 60 seconds. You want in, now's the time. Three two one seven six eight twelve forty. This is Bill McLaw. 
Bill Mick Live on demand on the iHeartRadio app and at the podcast section at BillMick.com. All three hours of the show are McNugget that airs at 5.30 during Sean Hannity, our call of the day. And yeah, Dave Does History also making the podcast every week here on Bill Mick Live. Dave Bowman's podcast linked up for you at BillMick.com. Also a Facebook link on my personal page that you can catch up with there. So Dave, is, uh, as we take a look at this, it, it changed how law enforcement react to these things. I read a story this morning, just a brief headline about the places where the defund the police movement in the country or some of the places that are listed as the best to be a policeman in this country. That kind of shocked me. Yeah, it, uh, it did change things. And that's, I, I don't know that it changed them because really the, the, the top 10, we're driving this, and and there's so much politics involved with this, particularly this particular riot, it is driven by politics because they, the the Tammany Hall Democrats saw an opportunity to embarrass the Whig mayor. They didn't. I mean, much like we say today, do do you think they really cared that 21 people were killed? No, they used that to their political advantage to embarrass this this mayor that wasn't from their party, and it was, it, it, it's so odd. To think that, you know, the catalyst for all this was our, our love of Shakespeare and the way that, you know, it was portrayed and blah, blah, blah. And to think now today, not only are we great friends with England, but we don't even care about Shakespeare anymore. It certainly has changed. That's, uh, yeah, that's very true. You know, I was in New York City once. I know it's a favorite of yours. I was in New York City in 2003 ish on a, um, maybe 2002 on a radio trip, visiting our various um, networks that we were dealing with, Fox, ABC, CBS, all those folks. And we walked Manhattan doing that. And at the time, it was as clean a place as you will ever find. The people were as friendly as they could have been. I didn't see the traditional things that you think of when you think of New York City. And, And the things like you guys were talking about on your podcast with the subway and everything that's going on there now, I found very kind people who went out of their way to help you because they knew you weren't from there and you didn't know what was going on. You know, San Francisco used to be that way. I used to love to go to San Francisco. I, lo- I like going to both. New York. Yeah. But, but you couldn't I, Seattle, Bill. I'm Seattle used to be when, when I was here before, you know, I went to Seattle weekly, uh, Mariners games, whatever, just, just to go walk around. But I, I refuse to go there now. It's amazing how much it's changed. And, and, you know, the politics that drives that change is very similar to what happened, you know, at the Astor Place riots in New York City. It's, it's, it's people, to, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. And mm-hmm. even if that crisis includes, hey, who's playing Macbeth at, at the local theater? <laughs> yeah. So the handbills, Bill, I, I should send you a picture of the handbill that was printed. Who will run New York City, the British or Americans? I mean, it's like, it's like they, they portrayed this as some sort of invasion by this one British actor and turned that into this mass riot that, again, until the 20th century was the deadliest riot in American history. Something Insane. else. Let's grab a phone call. Line one, you're on with Dave Bowman on Bill McLeod. Good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. This is Keith from Bombay. Yeah, Keith. Sounded mostly peaceful to me, that riot. <laughs> but um, uh, back in 1995, in the formerly known as BTC, I took a humanities class. 
And one of the, it was one of the greatest history classes I ever did. But I, I relate it more like history class than I guess, I really don't know what the true meaning of humanity is really. But anyways, in that class, the teacher was saying something about uh, Shakespeare being like one of the major parts of the King James Bible being produced, that he was a script, and he might have even taken artistical uh, leeway there in some of the writing. Have you ever heard anything about that, Dave, carrying information on that? Does Shakespeare influence the writing of the King James Bible? Yeah. Okay, interesting thought. Dave, what do you know there? Anything you know? I mean, clearly, English was becoming the go-to language. I mean, we today you were you were mentioning earlier about Spanish. You know, I've traveled the world. Everybody speaks English. That's that's the amazing part of traveling the world. The only time when I've been overseas, the only time people didn't speak English is when they didn't want you to know what was going on. Otherwise, mm-hmm. if they want your money or to negotiate with you, believe me, they speak English. In in, in the late in the early 1500s and 1600s that was not the case. English was becoming its own uh, its own thing and it really wasn't e- even the people that wrote operas still wrote in italian and german and that sort of thing so yeah i can see where shakespeare had a lot of influence on the king james version bible but you know again it's an attempt to put the bible into the language of the people which is the same thing shakespeare's doing he's telling stories uh, you know king uh <laughs> sorry king henry the 5th He's telling Julius Caesar. He's telling Anthony and Cleopatra. He's telling these ancient stories in English, and he's drawing from the old, you know, the old histories of that sort of thing. But he's putting it in the language of the people. So, in the same way, of course, it would have the same impact because that's what the King James Version Bible does. It puts the, puts the puts the scriptures into the language of the people in English. Very, very good. So tell me about your fascination with New York City, Dave. You want to go? I want to live in New York City. I really do. Not the New York City of today. I, and, and of course, I only want to live on the Upper West Side. I don't know. Yeah. I just I think New York City is the quintessential American city. There's so much history there. There's so much. Uh, one of the people I follow uh, is a gal by the name of Mrs. Q, who does Revolutionary War history in New York City. Um, it's It's... You know, we, we, we tend to think of other places when it comes to the, to the American Revolution. But New York, I mean, it was our first capital. This is where George Washington was inaugurated. It, mm-hmm. it's a, it is, as I said, the quintessential American city. Plus, I love hot dogs um, and, and I love baseball. I would love to go to New York and just watch baseball. I, I, there's so much to do there. And I, and I know that. You know, I know things are kind of crappy right now, but things go in cycles. So maybe someday it'll be worth going again. Yeah, I would hope so. About 40 seconds left, Dave. Got anything in mind as we look ahead to next week? Or are you traveling or something? I'm getting it, it ready to like travel. I'm getting ready yeah. to go across the country. So I'm really not thinking in terms of doing anything right now. But who knows? Okay. I might find something interesting. You never know. Very good. Well, an interesting look at history here and the rivalry between the Americans and the Brits through the theater, oddly enough. Dave Bowman, it was fun. Thank you much, my friend. I appreciate it. You're welcome. We'll see you next week. I'm still here, I think. All right. Look forward to it. And uh, again, you can catch the podcast at BillMick.com and on the Bill Mick Live iHeartRadio channel. Wide open Wednesday tomorrow. Thank you, the McPherson Financial Group. They made this hour of the show possible. I'll see you in the morning at 6.